0: Back for yet another episode of Behind the Lens. Welcome. I'm Debbie Linelias, Elias, film critic. Uh, many of you know me, movysharkdeblur.com, and a few papers here, there, everywhere, and online in the U.S. and abroad. But every Monday, you can find me right here uh, on Adrenaline Radio, live with Behind the Lens. We're in the midst of Oscar season, we're counting it down just a couple weeks ago. Yesterday, we had the BAFTA Awards. A lot of surprises there that just opened up the Oscar field, really, for, uh, for Best Picture. Um, odds are now, it, it could Best Picture could go to The Revenant, which picked up the BAFTA, or Big Short or Spotlight, which picked up some Guild Awards. So it's going to be interesting as we move towards the last Sunday in February. Um, it was a big day overall for the Revenant at BAFTA yesterday. You heard here, uh, Emmanuel Chivo Lubezki, one of my favorites, uh, picked up another BAFTA for cinematography. Uh, several weeks ago, you've heard you heard uh, clips of my exclusive interview with Chivo talking about the Revenant and shooting with that Alexa 65 and. All Natural Lighting. And anyone who hasn't seen The Revenant, please go see it, see it, see it, see it. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough. Another film I can't recommend highly enough is Carol. And for all you Oscar voters out there, uh, you have till the 23rd of February to vote. For all you Spirit Award uh, film independent members out there, you have until tomorrow, the 16th, to vote for the Spirit Awards of which uh, Carol and The Revenant are contending, especially Carol. Carol, I am just... No, The Revenant is not. I'm looking at my notes. I have so many notes here, guys, it's not even funny. Um, But Carol, I think, has a good shot to pick up some awards at The Spirits. So if you haven't seen it, um, please try. It is still in theaters, Um, and we're going to hear... Shortly from costume designer Sandy Powell, you know, last year we heard from Sandy Powell talking about Cinderella, for which she is nominated for an Oscar. She is vying against herself uh, for her work in Carol, and I had a chance to sit down and speak with her several times this year, as well as moderate some Q&As with her, Ed Lockman, and screenwriter Phyllis Naj. So this is a film that has become very dear to my heart. Uh, And in tune with costume design and Carol, uh, our guest at 1130 today, is an incredible woman, Susan Klassen. She does a one-woman show, A Conversation with Edith Head. And trust me, when you see her and all of my TCM uh, party peeps out there and TCM fans uh, will recognize Susan's take on Edie immediately, uh, her one woman show is amazing. She works with some Hollywood costume houses uh, with some significant pieces from the Golden Age of Hollywood and does a full Edith Head commentary. Uh, as many of you may know. Edith had thirty five Academy Award nominations for costume design uh, eight wins. Uh, Sandy Powell, who we 're going to hear from shortly, Sandy has a ten nomination or twelve nominations, three wins. Her closest contemporary is Colleen Atwood, another favorite of mine, uh, and Colleen has ten nominations and I think three wins, so it's this is an exciting year for costume design. Uh, Jackie West with The Revenant, Courtney Hoffman with The Hateful Eight. Unfortunately, Courtney did not get an Oscar nomination, uh, but then... A costumer who did get a nomination is Paco Delgado for The Danish Girl, uh, as well as Jenny Beaven for Mad Max Fury Road, uh, which won the BAFTA yesterday. So we're going to so talk with Susan about costuming, about Edith Head. Um, but before we get Susan at the half-hour mark, returning again, one of our favorite directors, the visionary teamer Beck Manbatov. Many of you know Timur for Wanted, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. Last summer's surprise hit Unfriended. Uh, He's currently in post-production on Ben-Hur, which we've heard tidbits throughout the year. Timur is no stranger to Behind the Lens. We have been privileged enough to have him as a guest several times already. But he's back this time for an exciting new project that he and his company uh, are doing with as a tie-in with South by Southwest. It's a great opportunity for young filmmakers. And uh, we're going to be talking about screen share filmmaking. Uh, Timur will be joining us at the quarter hour mark. Uh, and this time he's not in, he's not in Moscow. He's, he's apparently in Los Angeles this time. So we're doing well. We get Timur from Italy, from Moscow. Now he's just in plain old L.A. But uh, I will welcome Timur any way I can get him. And also today, we have the incredible, the big man on campus here at Adrenaline Radio. Steve is here as my sound engineer today. Brian is taken off today. Um, so this is a real treat to have Steve here engineering the show. So anything that's wrong, it's his fault, just so you all know that. So let's get started with uh, some Sandy Powell Uh, As I said, you know, Sandy's going up against herself for Oscars this year. And if you look at Carol and you look at Cinderella, the costuming couldn't be further. Uh, The the differential couldn't be further from each other uh, if you tried. In Cinderella, she introduced us to a new fabric, Umissima, and embellished gowns with over 10,000 Swarovski crystals, as well as working with Swarovski to develop that beautiful glass slipper. The embroidery on me- much of the men's costuming was done. It's 24 carats sp- spun gold embroidery that w- she found seamstresses, embroiderers, craftsmen who could do that intricate work, um, and it paid off. She got the Oscar nomination. Go to the flip side and the quiet, more subdued film of Carol, set in post World War II with a 40s look in a 50s time. Uh, under the direction of Todd Haynes, it is it truly magical when you look at the elegance uh, of what she brings to the costume. And the costume in Carol is directly tied in with this is, the synergy in Carol is something we don't see that often. The script, the cinematography, the costuming, and Judy Becker's production design are so interdependent and reliant upon one another to really bring out the emotion that we see unfolding between these two women, Carol and Therese, the object of each other's uh, desires. So I had a chance to talk to Sandy and ask her, how do you go from Cinderella to Carol?
1: It's so funny because when I did this film, I thought it was really low key. Was, I mean, I haven't come from Cinderella where it's in your face, yeah, the costumes. And I did this and I thought it's really low key. I thought, I thought it's really not going to get picked up as a costume film. It's going to be one of those because it's all low-key and it's not brightly colourful or mm-hmm. anything. It is, you know. But it's, it is. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really thrilled that people are recognising it. as. It's a bit like when people don't recognise contemporary films as being costume films. And, again,
0: you know, Cinderella is already on DVD. Carol's still in theatres. I urge you to see them both. And Academy voters, it's a toss-up as to preference because the work in both... Is superb, but coming on board, this the, um, Sandy is no stranger to working with director Todd Haynes. This is their third film together. Uh, you may remember her exquisite work in Far From Heaven, uh, which with uh, Julia Moore, which was stand out. Um, here it is equally stand out, dressing Kate Blanchett, who she also dressed in Cinderella, I might add. So, how did this project come to her? For Phyllis Naj, Phyllis actually knew the book author of The Price of Salt, Patricia Highsmith. Phyllis, it was more than a 10-year journey for her to see the film come to fruition uh, and her screenplay take shape. Um, But Sandy has a very funny anecdotal story to tell us how she got involved with
1: Carol. See, my first introduction to this wasn't the script and Todd. I actually read the book a few years ago. I found it by mistake on on a the station. I had some journeys to, and I needed. I have nothing to read, and I wanted a book. And the only things there were. It's a little station in the UK. with Stephen King novels, and I saw this thing, <sighs> Patricia Highsmith book. And I thought I've never read Patricia Highsmith, expecting a thriller. Yeah, you know, heard she's good. I'll read it. And I read this book, and it just blew me away. And I thought this has to be a film. This book, yeah. this story has to be a film. And I even had a director in mind. I thought it's a Todd Haynes film or a Neil Jordan film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the two guys that come. On. We got, you know, cut to a couple of years later. I'm having dinner with Liz Carlson, mm-hmm. who's a friend. Hadn't seen each other for I said, What are you up to? And she said, Well, I've got the rights to this book. How? I said, You're kidding me. I've got to do it. I want to do it. And she already had the rights, and she already had Kate Blanchett attached with another director. Well, once you have Cape Blanchard attached how could you, you Another <laughs> and I said okay I'm doing it I don't care what, how much money you've got I'll do it so that was it it was already I kind of knew I really wanted to do this film so it was already in the back of my head I wasn't thinking about how it would be done and then Mir- Miracle of Miracles Todd came on board so it was like the perfect combination mm-hmm. so um, I knew from the beginning that it wasn't going to be 50's like Far From Heaven you know what I mean mm-hmm. and everybody I think most people are expecting Carol to be Far From Heaven Part 2 and it's mm-hmm. not different it's oh. set in the real world you know, it's the totally real different. world not a heightened mm-hmm. world so um, you know so sitting down talking with Todd about it and then Todd like in all his projects provides very very detailed reference images mm-hmm. like beautiful images I mean just like scrapbooks of images that are in his head and how he wants to shoot it and colours and mm-hmm. ideas and so a lot of that comes from that kind of subliminally you know I'm mm-hmm. looking at things which might be street scenes you know which might be a, you know, an empty street with mm-hmm. traffic lights and rain um, As so we talked a lot about the characters and you know I can't remember what the question was but, <laughs> <laughs> but but we talked about how Carol would be you know wealthy mm-hmm. middle class fashionable but not extravagant you know mm-hmm. fashionable in, in a very sort of very tasteful way mm-hmm. understated but but you could see her well. Mm-hmm. And then Therese is in, yeah she's impoverished in that she wasn't she was a student not long ago. Right. I mean in the original book I think she's a, a, a stage designer. Yes, she's yeah she's stage a stage designer, 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 yeah. A photographer, didn't they? Um, but it's that sort of studenty, but a little bit arty, you know, mm-hmm. probably hangs out in you know hangs out in Greenwich Village and you with know, mm-hmm. the hipster not quite beatnik, but yeah. you know it's that sort of that sort of look. Yeah, the not, book was definitely more. You got a more bohemian sense. Yeah, you did. So I still because I mean I still refer to the book as a, a bohemian, but not you know not self consciously fashionable mm-hmm. by any means. It's sort of practical and comfortable. I mean, she has a look, but it's not you know. Mm-hmm. And I was worried that actually her look. And Todd Todd re- really liked the very simple things. He liked the a white shirt with a pinafore dress mm-hmm. and really down. I could think, oh, maybe she's looking too boring. But actually, I think it's really great. It's a really good contrast. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that developed Mm -hmm. into her own style later towards
0: the end. And developing into style within a film is typically very important when you are dealing with an emotional drama such as a Carol. And you do see the character, Trez, is played by Rooney Mara. And you do see... Her character growing and morphing and becoming more confident, and the costuming does reflect that. Um, With a period piece like this, you've got to ask Sandy Powell do you go with vintage clothes or do you custom make and design specifically for the film?
1: Most of it is vintage, luckily, and because you know, like I said before, if I was doing this film in the UK it would be a lot harder because there's a lot less available now mm-hmm. much in The country was this country you still find a lot of 50s clothing mm-hmm. and there are the rental companies that mm-hmm. we go to and so I went and pulled lots of vintage clothing and pulled specific shapes and looks for different characters and tried that on and where it works like a lot of trares, most of the things are, are, are real mm-hmm. and then the things I can't find if I want a specific shape or a specific colour we built like a suit at the end and some mm-hmm. of her skirts uh Kate's stuff is probably mostly built no, probably half half vintage pieces mm-hmm. like the coats are all real the fur coat we made that's beautiful out of old out of vintage fur in case anybody gets upset yes it was yeah. made out of you know old fur coats cut up right. and put together again because I wanted that particular it's colour beautiful. in that particular shape um, made a lot of her things mm-hmm. because again I wanted specific colours specific shapes and she's not a, you know she's not a 1950s shape I mean size. I mean yeah. she's taller, yeah,
0: broader. And we'll hear a little a little bit later about that mink coat that Sandy just referenced, because it is a stunner. And anybody in Los Angeles, if you have gone to some of the ArcLight theaters over the past couple months, or down to the Fashion Institute. You've been able to see the coat on display, and it truly is. When she talks about creating something luxurious, she truly has created something luxurious. So I think right now we should take a short break uh, in anticipation of Timur calling in, and we'll be right back. the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And we are back, anxiously awaiting, ah, and I understand our phone is lighting up. This must be Timur. <laughs> and it is. It is. I am so thrilled. Hello, Timur Benmetov. Ben How are you?
2: Thank you very much, Dimitri. I'm good.
0: I am so... This is such, you, such a treat. Are you on,
2: online? We are live.
0: Oh, good. We are live, so everybody can hear about when Rachel emailed me about this new screen share cinema initiative that you started in conjunction with South by Southwest. And she said, you want to talk to Timur about it? I'm like, absolutely. This is, this is an exciting opportunity for young filmmakers. Can you tell us about what this is? I went, I read through everything on your website about it and it's very exciting
2: uh it's it's uh, it will be the uh, 7 days uh, workshop and panel uh, uh during the south by southwest festival where we will uh, invite four teams from from the country uh to be there and to learn how to make uh, uh screen capture movies and uh, we will we will invite uh, our filmmakers who made uh, Unfriended a year ago, and they will teach people the, the language they learn. And at the same time, there will be another four teams all around the world. They will participate online, and we'll have the same. Uh, Experience, they will learn, and they will make them uh, short. The idea is that the, during these seven days to produce uh, 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 seven, eight shots uh, uh, and uh, um, different genres, but but using the screen screen share filmmaking. And, and
0: well, go ahead, Timur. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, 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 yes. And we will we will learn. We will teach. We will learn ourselves. Because it's a very new uh, uh, language, and we're still learning
0: things. Well, something I find interesting, I was reading your manifesto about what screen share filmmaking is, and the movie Language Basics. And some of the basics, unity of place, unity of time, unity of sound, they seem very simple. But then when you look at them, especially because you... The intent here is not just use one digital device, one phone, one iPad. This is using a, a meld of them, much as you did in Unfriended, correct?
2: Yes. Yes, we, uh, yes, uh, it's, it sounds easy because it's, it's, it, it, it sounds very familiar and, 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 uh, and relatable, but to, 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 to uh, to make this kind of movie needs needs a lot of uh, experience and and it's a two types of experience. First of all, you need to you need to know and you need to uh, understand how we communicate online because it's a, uh, there is no there is a dialogue, there is a conflict, there is a, even action when we when we're online uh we we're very active and we're very there's a little drama in it but but it's it looks different It has a very different uh, 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 uh presentation mm-hmm. like like for example uh, when you're waiting for someone else's message and and you see the small uh, line saying uh, the thoughts. Uh, animated dots and 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 sign pending pending pending, it's it's a suspense it's a suspense it's it's you you don't know what will happen, and it's a new it's a new new uh, uh, type of the suspense, mm-hmm. and 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 it's one from one hand you need to you need to embrace you need to. Uh, 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 Know this, 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 this—the this, the, the world of internet, the world of computer—but at the same time, you need to know the traditional storytelling uh, uh, rules. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter how different it is. It's still storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's still, the relationship between characters is still creating unique, unique characters and and and, and unique. To tell unique stories. That's that's what it's what we what we are uh, going to, to 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 learn and to teach people.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I know Leo did this very beautifully with Unfriended last year, and everything was done in real time. Is that one of the one of the prongs that this new Kind of filmmaking, this screen share filmmaking. Will things be unfolding in real time? Is that part of the dialogue?
2: Yes, it is now. You know, the the, the rules exist only to to break it. <laughs> and, and 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 for now, this is what we what we discovered and what we did. And for now, there's are rules for us. But I'm sure the the eight new filmmakers who will. Make their first movies during this uh, workshop in Austin. They will destroy this, <laughs> destroy <laughs> this world, and, and and we will come up with something, something new. And 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 of course, there is no, there is no, uh, uh, there is no rules.
0: <laughs> well, you are you are one of the champions of rule breaking with what you have done over the years, especially with Day Watch, Night Watch. I mean, you pushed the envelope so far with that, and it doesn't surprise me at all that here you are spearheading something like screen share filmmaking.
2: Yeah, we we I mean, we are happy because we we were the first who who tested the water. And we were the first who understood that this is a new, uh, this is a new opportunity for all of us. Because I'm spending more time uh, online than in physical world, and and it's my life. And I want to tell stories about this this part of my life. Mm -hmm. And 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 I think uh, we we cannot understand it yet, but. I'm sure the the next few years, we will we will uh, see the the, the 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 kind of like a revolution because people will try to tell stories about their their front of the screen uh, reality. Mm-hmm. Now, and, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 and I'm sure it will be, be. It will be. This doesn't change. It doesn't change the the core I and mean, the core of the filmmaking. It still will be stories. Still will be visual, and their rhythm and 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 characters and all the elements are the same. But they just look different.
0: Now, with this with this new style of filmmaking, very verite on the multi digital platforms at the same time, sound becomes very very important. We heard that in Unfriended. Will you be helping? Because it goes beyond regular sound of just holding a boom mic somewhere or putting a lav on somebody. This this gets more intricate. As part of the workshop, will you be working with these young filmmakers and helping them with the technical proficiency of sound, sound design, melding the sounds, and the different quality of sound you get from different devices?
2: Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, it's an interesting question because uh, we... we, we, we we uh um, we understood when we understood that the sound in 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 screen capture movies sound have a different uh, uh different rules sound sound work because uh you are not dealing we are not dealing with the physical world we're dealing with the representation of the physical world in 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 in, in our speakers of our computers and of course, it was a mix. It was a mix of the sound effects produced by a computer, something we record and and put it there in the music. For example, in Unfriended, there was no, there was no scores. Mm-hmm. The music we had, it was a, it was music, the character playing on his computer. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and there is a lot of music, but this music, uh, coming from Spotify, from different websites, and from his music library from iTunes, and 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 even the mix, uh, uh, even the mixes is interesting because computer has a uh, computer has a has a uh, 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 function when somebody's calling you, the the music goes away automatically, and we we imitated this this uh, language. To make it, to make uh, to mix the sound because it's like a computer automatically mixing the sound uh, itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I know
2: you. Tr- we just it's, of course we're we just trying. Now we are. It's just beginning, and we in the first few movies we were just trying to recreate the world of our screen life. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and now we're producing movie called Withers of OS. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a movie about the young girl. Uh, who, she lost her desktop homepage, and trying to get to get back to her homepage. And, and the whole story it's a wheel of the force, but told in in, in uh, on the computer screen. Because today to lose our data, to lose our accounts, and now uh, it means to lose our friends and, and relationship and and all our past mm-hmm. and. To- <laughs> And and it's a whole story about the girls going back trying to reconstruct her world, resurrect her world. And 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 it's a fantasy. And it's very it's very different. But it's not a it's not like kind of unfriended where we were dealing with the real world. This is a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Fantasy world based on the computer reality.
0: As somebody who has lost some of their data in the past, this is that's yes. so much a reality.
2: <laughs> Yes, it is. It's a nightmare. I can. I cannot even. I mean, it's just so scary. Can you imagine that suddenly you, you lost all your friends and letters and pictures, and it's scary. And and then the whole the whole movie will be about the this young girl trying to with her three friends as usual to trying to come back and 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 find herself
0: now how can filmmakers apply because I know there's a deadline of what February 24th or 26th uh, for them to apply yeah. they can go to where do they go to apply
2: you go, yeah, go on the website and there's a there's a form they can they can uh, fill the form and and, and, and be uh, elected
0: now are uh, is any filmmaker, or are you trying to keep this to younger filmmakers?
2: No, any anyone who 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 feels that he wants to tell stories by sharing uh, the screen with the with the with the world.
0: And they can go to screensharefilms.com. Yes now you have a film that's going to be uh showing at south by do you not
2: uh where on, on, on the, during the festival yes we have we have another movie called uh hardcore henry mm mm-hmm. we, we will present uh, uh uh in austin and it's another it's another it's a very different animal it's an it's uh uh first person p o v Action, sci-fi, crazy uh, uh, movie. It's very, it's very innovative. It's a whole movie shot from the main character' point of view. Mm-hmm. I'm called pro camera, and uh, with a sherlock Copley playing ten characters, and uh, it's it's something. It's it's another it's another experiment. Oh, you we, and you we, and your
0: experiments, and I love every single one.
2: You, you—it's—it's uh, it's why we make movies. <laughs> it's what makes it fun to make? Just every time, if you don't know how to tell this story organically, how to how to do it technically, uh, uh, this kind of project—it makes you feel. Uh, encouraging it's encouraging you
0: well it, all I, you give me such great joy with the films that you make and i can't i can't wait to see how this new screen share filmmaking takes off and goes to the next level after unfriended and i know you and i are going to be talking later this year about ben Hur.
2: yes well yes like, it's august
0: in august in, in and-
2: august in august we will we will meet our
0: audience and, and you and I will actually get to sit down in real face to face and talk about it this time. Yes, we should. <laughs> we, we should. Timur, I can't thank, thank you, you enough for joining me today. And thank you. Uh, I'm very excited about this. So I can't wait to see how it works. Thank you very much. Thanks, Timur. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. And that was the fabulous visionary, innovator. Timur Bekmanbatov. And now we have another fabulous visionary of fashion. The wonderful Susan Glasson is here. Are you there, Susan? Great to speak with you. Ah, oh, I am so excited to have you on the show. We you and I have been plotting this for a while. We have and what a perfect time. Two uh, weeks before the Academy Awards. Oh my God! The day after and day after BAFTA Awards. Yes. Did you see Sandy Powell's oh. homage? I did.
3: I. Did. Oh my, it was fabulous.
0: <laughs> well, Sandy is just so fabulous. I mean, this has been a great year for me with Sandy. You know, she and Colleen Atwood are really the strongest contemporary costume designers we have. I think so too. They're just, and
3: and I think they follow uh, what Edith Head's philosophy is that the costume should indeed further the narrative. And I think both of them capture
0: that beautifully in their designs. I mean, you know, and to look at Sandy competing against herself with Cinderella (laughs) and Carol, you couldn't have two films that are more different. Exactly, exactly. and it just show, it shows the great range, but something that Sandy does that Edith Edie was also known for was dressing men.
3: Yes. as Edith said she often preferred men to women, and her last Academy award was for the sting. And that was interesting, it was the first time in the history of the Academy Awards that the that a best costume design Oscar went to a film with no female star.
0: Well, you know, there was nothing wrong with the two male stars she was dressing exactly. in that Exactly. As she said, can you imagine
3: dressing or undressing the two most handsome men in Hollywood, Robert Redford and Paul Newman and then and then getting the Oscar? <laughs>
0: I, I, it, it, that was that. Just is amazing, absolutely. And here in both of the films that Sandy Powell is nominated for this year, she's dressing Kate Blanchett in both of them.
3: I know, and she's perfect. She understands uh, Kate silhouette and to an incredible advantage. It's just beautiful.
0: Now, have you seen uh, some of the other? Costume nominees this year, such as The Revenant, Jackie, um, Jackie West with The Revenant. I've only seen the costumes. I haven't seen the film, but she followed
3: something that Edith learned from Travis Banton. "Run in doubt,
0: trim and fur. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and Courtney Hoffman, who did not get a nomination, you know, went, went with the fur with Hateful Eight as well. Yeah, I mean and Trumbo. I mean that was oh, those were you know perfectly that, designed costumes. What Daniel Orlandi did with Trumbo, especially with the design of all and all of Helen Mirren's hats, in all his had a hopper.
3: I mean, although you know Edith Head and Hedda Hopper were like oil and rock. <sighs> Hedda Hopper once put Edith on her list of Hollywood's worst women. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was quite a blow to Edith. But as Edith said, you know, when she's standing behind a, a big star fitting a fabulous gown, she doesn't want to be the eye catcher. She was very simple food, mm-hmm. and she must fade into the background. And,
0: uh, yeah, and that's something that you do with your one-woman show, a conversation with Edith Head. I mean, you blew my mind last year at Stage LA.
3: That was such fun. I had such a, you know, it's such a privilege to keep Edith Head's legacy alive because although she died in 1981, she is consistently—if you look at the uh, ten top red carpet dresses. Mm-hmm what she designed for Grace Kelly 1954 when uh, Grace was nominated for the curl it's always in the top 10 I mean, I- and, and her designs are as contemporary as today yeah. there are many things you could go out in today and so many designers give tribute to, to Edith so aside from being a, a marvelous designer she says she was a better diplomat than a designer, you know, working sixty years in such an ego-driven business, never walking off a set—those are extraordinary things. And and she was an executive woman before there was such a thing. mm mm-hmm. I mean, she's- her record will will probably go unbroken. Oh, no, no. Catching up a little bit, but. Well, and Colleen there, Atwood. there are no studio designers today. So You know,
0: I mean, Colleen has three Oscars. Sandy has three Oscars. Um, Sandy's got the 12 nominations. Colleen has 10. Nobody comes close. Even back in Edith's day, Jean Louis, I think he only didn't even compare.
3: No. Well, nobody lasted as long. And, you know, for the first 21 years of the Academy Awards, there was no category for costume design. And so So she worked tirelessly. And then, after it was, there were were two up until 1967. So some years, like for uh, 51, for the 1950 films, Edith won two. Mm -hmm. So black and
0: white. Uh for all about even for color for Samson and Delilah. Yeah, and that's something. It's a testament to Edith's costume design because her fashions looked as beautiful in black and white and aided the story and the character as much there as they did in color.
3: Yeah. yeah. You know, they decided to do uh, Roman Holiday in black and white because, uh, you know, it was so stunning, and they didn't want Rome. It was one of the first films, I think it might have been the first film, ever shot entirely in Rome. Entirely in Rome. Yeah, and they didn't want the gorgeous, you know, Rome to upstage, so they shot in black and white, and it was just as absolutely stunning in black and white.
0: That's something that I think a lot of costumers today, they don't, take into consideration. Something I loved about Courtney Hoffman this year and what she did with Hateful Eight is mm-hmm. she really, her research was so flawless, and she really went for authenticity. You know, Kurt Russell's coat, bison coat, that was real bison fur. Yeah.
3: That was I, I think that's something also that resonates deeply with Eva. She loved the director's, that required that. hmm Like, and the ones like Cecil B. DeMille, who never did an authentic picture of <laughs> her wife, she <laughs> had very little use for. Like she did with Samson and Delilah. You know, he decided he wanted the, you know, the peacock feathers. Well, she said she didn't know if they had peacocks in Mesopotamia. But uh, <laughs> She drew the sketch, and of course, it's absolutely stunning. And Hedy Lamar looked absolutely magnificent in that cape made of peacock feathers. But yes, but there was very little authenticity in it.
0: Do you, you know, as intimately as you know Edith Head and the history of Hollywood costume, do you, does it please you when you have designers like Colleen Atwood, like Sandy Powell, like a Jackie West or a Courtney Hoffman that really just dig into authenticity?
3: Oh, I love it. I I absolutely love it. And I feel... That it, 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 really honors the, the world of, of, cinema when you do that. And, uh, I think they are ex- exquisite that way. Yes, there are some contemporary things that can be shocked without a doubt. But something like Carol, which every silhouette is perfect for the Lenticli of these, is perfect for the characters, you look at that person. You look at Carol, and you know who she is. Mm-hmm. And to me, as Ida said, there were three magicians in Hollywood: its a costume, and its hair, and its makeup. Mm-hmm. And you see the magic of the cinema come alive in a film like that or, you know, in The Danish Girl, certainly, in oh. all of the nominated films.
0: Oh, Paco Delgado has done a beautiful job with The Danish Girl. And how good does Eddie Redmayne look in these costumes?
3: Perfect. It perfect. And there was virtually, right, to what I've researched, no padding whatsoever. It was just the cut and the drape and where things were pleated. And Um, that's that's pretty exciting also.
0: Yeah, and that's what I love about looking at the costumes this year. I think this year, um, more than most years, the below the line, the behind the lens, the production values on the films are at an all-time high. When you look at the costume and you look at the cinematography, you look at the hair and makeup, and each film is just so distinctive and speaks and tells its own story with all of these inner interwoven pieces of the tapestry.
3: I think so. And didn't you put that just beautifully for costuming,
0: interwoven with the tapestry? I try. Love that. I try. I try, Susan. <laughs> but, you know, mention, you know, mentioning, you know, Eddie Redmayne in The Danish Girl in Paco's fashion, you mentioned the pleats and the draping. That is something that's the one film we really do see a lot of the pleading and the draping we don't see that in carol we don't see that in cinderella cinderella is pure fantasy gorgeous fantasy um and definitely we don't see pleading and draping when we get into the revenant (laughs) and the hateful eight and even in trumbo because of being the golden age you know, we don't. We see more structure, especially the beautiful, beautiful gown that Orlandi designed for Helen Mirren. Uh, mm-hmm. The floor length with yeah. with the sequin trim on it. That was on display at the ArcLight here, and I got to see it up close and personal. Oh, how great! My heart almost. It's stopped. fun
3: just to see. You know, um, Paramount has restored. Uh, 3540 of Edith Head's costumes Mm -hmm. and um, they actually have gone to the El Paso Museum of Art and then also uh, in Lancaster, Ohio and when you look inside and you see how these costumes were made the detail how beautifully they were sewn Um, Betsy Potter do you know Betsy Betsy did the restoration for uh, Paramount for uh, Randall the when
0: they were doing this and it's so great to see. I mean it and you look it's interesting because when I talked to Colleen Atwood uh, about Into the Woods, mm-hmm. she had mentioned that you know she's gone into you know clothing shops because for for the longest time. Hollywood, it got to the point, they didn't care about costumes. It's like, make it as cheap and as fast as you can, as many as you can. She said, and then I start going into some secondhand stores and I'm finding some of my costumes on the racks being sold as secondhand because studios were just discarding things. And I think it's such a travesty because we do have these beautiful, beautiful designs from the past and... Debbie Reynolds was the only one really trying to uh, absolutely to preserve and care yeah. for things, and I mean, things were sent back and need to stay. Why there are so few
3: originals left? And things were recut. They were sent back to Western Costume. They really were recut. They were reused in the film. A little thing was changed here, and it wasn't valued a- as an art form. Mm-hmm. And as we know. With the great, you know, Deborah's great, you know, Hollywood costume and all these other even couture, they're doing wonders for membership at museums. Mm -hmm. People are understanding the value of costuming. Mm -hmm. So you'll find some Edith, you know, Edith also did fashion shows all the time where they were recreations and she would go into a town and, uh, have society models and and changing Van Dyke would do these all over the country. So you'll find some of those that are uh, recreations. Um, I own about seven costumes that are original. Um, Only only seven? The iconic, you know, (laughs) the things that are on my set. Our, our reproductions of the great Elizabeth Taylor dressed on Place in the Sun, and of course, the Betty Davis, where that was an interesting and all about Eve. Uh, Edith only designed for Betty Davis. In those days, of course, every studio had their own designer, so Charles Dunair was a 20th century fox. But Edith maneuvered to get Betty to request her. Mm hmm. And that was also a trick sheet where It's, it's trimmed in the sable. But when I show the costume, because it was black and white, a lot of people think it, the dress was black. Mm-hmm. But it was brown because that color brown photographs magnificently in black and mm-hmm. white. So each stage of, of, when, of, uh, really the, the stages of Hollywood uh, cinematography can be traced in costume. And the minute that sound came in, costumes had to change also yeah. because of what fabric did for the noise. You know, the rustle of this, mm-hmm. which they didn't have in silent films. So it's all very uh fascinating from a, a costume. And I love introing films of what to look for how. And Edith actually Was uh, the person you know in the '60s when, when was first the Academy Awards were first being aired on um, TV? She was the fashion consultant backstage Mm -hmm. to make sure everything would pass the censors. Boy, I I, we we need her now. I have a copy of her letter. (laughs) If you want to hear it from 1968
0: that she sent. Oh, I would love to hear it, Susan. (laughs)
3: So she sent this on March 25th, 1968. We in the Academy are delighted to have it know that you will appear on our 40th awards presentation on telecast Monday, April 8th. However, so many questions have been asked about the style of dress expected on stage that I send you this information. Actresses are requested to wear formal evening gowns either uh, maxi or floor length, preferably pastel shade since the setting is very formal and done entirely in white and gold. As you know, long dresses, no mini or day length, are more graceful on stage and on camera in this type of background. The Academy feels that the dignity of this traditional affair on our 40th anniversary deserves formal dress. Men are expected to wear a white tie with conventional formal evening accessories. Cordially, Edith Head, costume supervisor.
0: Oh my God. That is fabulous. That is fabulous. (laughs) I mean, there are some people that can really use that memo today. I see. You know, the the dignity of the Academy Award. And I think that's something that we've lost over the years. It it, it was considered to be the creme de la creme, the height of dignity. And Uh, I think we've lost some of that over the decades. I
3: do, too. You know, once it became uh, uh, about, oh, The show rather than the work, Mm -hmm. I I think we lost, you know, the first was, what, 1929? Yep. And 15 were given out, and it was at the Roosevelt Hotel, and do you know what the cost of the ticket was?
0: Oh, I know, it was very inexpensive. Five (laughs) dollars. Well, actually, that was a lot in 1929, but... Right. (laughs) And the ceremony, the length of the ceremony... It was 15 minutes. Yeah. I I it just, to see how it's become this, this billion dollar industry. Yeah. And we do lose sight of, you know, now with the whole diversity issue that's been raised, which I still think is, this year is ridiculous. I mean, it's about performance. It's about the best of the best, be it costume, be it cinematography, be it sound, be it performance. It's the best of the best. Right. And not everybody can be the best of the best.
3: Right. Right. You know, you know I mean, that's, that's definitely, you know, what it was and it should be and should always be. mm mm-hmm. um, And with the campaigns and with, you know, all of that goes on, um, it becomes, you know, just a marketplace.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. Of so course. It's interesting because Edith really would be backstage, and she had a crew of people. So if uh, more was showing than was uh, possible so it wouldn't be censored out, she would have to stick a bunch of flowers down a cleavage sure. or anything like that before people went on because, as it was today, of course, it's live.
0: I mean, we had no wardrobe malfunctions then. No Edith wouldn't allow that no. to happen. No, sometimes, no, sometimes I wish never.
3: that. you know. And there were no stylists. Mm-hmm. You know, if your stars were going out, the studio would send them down to Edith or to Lori Kelly or to um, Jean Louis, and they would design whatever they would wear. I have more people when we, you know, do the show come, and even if they were contract players. They would say, oh, you know, we, and she hasn't been gone that, that long that there aren't people around who knew her and worked directly with her. And people come up and bring so photographs of them with Edith, Aww. or they would say we were going out on a date and you said, you know, come down, let me, let me dress you. So those are such uh, charming. Everywhere I go and do the show, there's someone who worked directly with Edith. Um, It's just, you know, like uh, Mike and Marion Westmore. You know, the Westmores, his office was right next to Edith at Universal. Mm -hmm. And the first time I did the show in L.A., I knew they were coming, and I had done my research. And Marion had been a model for Edith, and she was wearing a wedding dress, and Mike saw her, fell in love. And they were; they've been married ever since. And the house, famous house of Westmore, continues on. So they've seen the show probably three or four times, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's so touching and just uh, it's such a, a a privilege when we have people who newer or young designers who come and say, "Oh, hearing you this story gives me the." confidence in the faith to continue on, and people who are in any profession, just what Edith really followed a a dream of hers. If you look at what she accomplished, she was the original brander, right? Absolutely. You know, she, she if there were blogs today, you know, she would have been... The, the blogger, because she, at any given time she was syndicating at least 35 magazines or newspapers mm-hmm. giving advice, and she thought the secrets that she knew she should be able to share with the world. Mm-hmm. And she did that through the Art Link Letter Show, and again, these, and also patterns that she did for Vogue and uh, I Butterick s-
0: I still have some Edith Head Vogue patterns. Yay! I, I actually made some of those very patterns. Yes. You're, you're going to have to wear it next time we do the show in your area and you come. Well, I really hope that you... When, what is the show's schedule? Because your conversation with Edith is just fabulous. Well, the
3: next thing we're doing is actually uh, more of a fashion show appearance, which... I do because it has integrity with what Edith did. Sure. And this we're doing in Paradise Valley on Thursday, which uh, Robert Black, who's a a wonderful vintage collector, and we've done many events together, uh, is pulling together some homages to Edith's great designs and some of her greatest stars that she dressed. Uh, We'll be in Solana Beach in August. Uh, and many other things in the work. So it, we love doing it. It's, I think it's, it will be in Tucson in the fall. So, uh, and we just, it's just such a, uh, wonderful experience. And people you know, I've been doing the show in varying forms for 12 years. Wow. And they don't you tire? Doing over, we must have done probably 250, 300 performances. And it's, no, because everyone is different because I answer questions. Mm-hmm. They have to be time appropriate, but oftentimes when we're in L.A., I'll get a question sent back saying, you know, uh, Ms. Head, I was um, a tram driver for the Universal Studios tour in 1974, do you remember me? <laughs> you know, so I'll have the guy stand up and say, Oh, yes, I do. You have that distinctive little beep, beep, beep that I always loved. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, and, and she would, you know, she knew how to work a crowd. Okay. If she heard that, she would casually grab an Oscar or a sketch pad and go out yep. and wave to the people. So she really was a household name, and the Costume Designers Guild loves it because she put a face onto what a costume designer does.
0: Well, Susan, I'm getting the signal here that we have to wrap. Our time is up. This has been the most enjoyable half hour I've ever had. Me too. I just loved it. Oh, you have to come back on the show again.
3: Anytime. You are an absolute delight, and thank you for all your support. I so appreciate it.
0: Oh, thank you, Susan. I'll talk to you soon. Great. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was the fabulous Susan Klassen talking Eve Head Hollywood costume. Yes, Steve, I hear you. I hear you. So, we're signing off. Next week, we'll hear more audio clips from Oscar nominees.